sermon podcast of Paoli Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Jonathan Mixel. It has been wonderful to worship together over the last several Sundays. Um, this is uh, a high time in the year of the church. Two weeks ago, we had Palm Sunday when we were reminded of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And in that Sunday sermon, we were reminded and we focused on the forgiveness that Jesus offers to all of us. The examples of the woman caught in adultery and the religious leaders who brought her there. Jesus recognized that no one is, has done so much that forgiveness is not possible. And no one has done so little that forgiveness is not needed. We're reminded of the significance of forgiveness. That none of us have done so much that we're beyond the forgiveness and the availability of forgiveness. And none of us have done so little that we don't need God's difference in our lives. God's forgiveness is available to all of us. It was an important and significant reminder. And then last Sunday on Easter, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. We affirmed together that the tomb is empty. That Jesus is alive and that that makes a difference in how we go about our lives. We recognize the critical historical reality of those, those facts being true. But we also thought about the equally important response that we are to have to those facts. That it's not just historical facts, as important as those historical facts are. But that those historical facts point to the good news that Jesus Christ came to be your Savior and mine. And that we're invited into a relationship with the living God of the universe. John wrote in his gospel, and we we thought about this last week, that he wrote all these things that we would come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. We celebrate the good news of the resurrection. We celebrated it on Easter Sunday. And in fact, we celebrate it every Sunday. That's part of the reason why the church began to worship on Sunday as a celebration every week of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we have these high points in the church year, it can sometimes feel like the resurrection is the end of the story. I mean, after all, we, when we look through the, the arc of the entire scriptures, we see God's desire throughout the Bible to restore the broken relationships that sin has caused in each of our lives. And with Jesus' arrival, with his death, and with his resurrection, in many ways, that work is complete. The task is finished. But in God's infinite wisdom, that isn't, of course, the end of the story. If we're looking through the New Testament, we see that that covers the first four books of the New Testament, but there's a lot more that happens after it. And there's a lot more that's happened in the church in the following 2,000 years. In God's wisdom, the resurrection isn't the end. Through Jesus Christ, yes, the ultimate victory over sin was secured. But God is not yet ready to completely finish the work on this earth. Instead, we live in this period that the theologians call now and not yet. We know that the truth is secure. We know that the resurrection has happened, but it hasn't come to its fullest conclusion. God allowed for this period of time in which humans would continue to live in a fallen world, but with the assurance and the hope of the resurrection. We live in this world, but we do so in a way that's different than it was prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're invited to be 
active participants in the work that God is continuing to do in our world. And so today, we're going to think about sort of what is the call for the church and what is the call for us as individual members of the church, recognizing the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how we are invited to take it into the world. And to better set the stage for the passage that we're going to read from the Gospel of Matthew, I want you to think about where the disciples were at that point, right after the resurrection, right after what we celebrated last week. We know that it was a a significant, significant marker, and that's probably understating it significantly, that it was a significant marker in the life of the history of the world. It had been 33 years since Jesus' remarkable birth and coming into the world as God. He has spent the previous three years in direct ministry and investing in the lives of his closest disciples. And they, were, they had gone through the trauma and the difficulty of his crucifixion. They had wondered what was going to happen in those succeeding days. And then as they began to see Jesus alive in their world, they, they were, it was beginning to finally dawn on them that Jesus really did die and Jesus really did come back to life. But what would be next? How would that change their world? How would it change their lives? What would this new Jesus be like? And how would they live together and minister together? And what would it be like? And just as they were allowing that to start to sink in in their minds, Jesus said to them, I'm leaving. I'm going back to the Father. Your time of your apprenticeship is over. There's work to be done, but Jesus would not be bodily present for the work that would follow. And with that, Jesus gave some instructions to his disciples, and in doing so, gives some instructions to us about what this period of time after the resurrection looks like and how we are called to live understanding the reality of the resurrection, but not seeing the world completely remade in God's image. These are the words that Jesus shared In Matthew chapter 28, beginning with verse 16, we read this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have celebrated Jesus' remarkable work on our behalf. It's only God who can provide for the forgiveness of sins. But in his ultimate wisdom, Jesus invited his disciples And in turn invites us to be a part of his work, sharing this message of hope to the people that live around us who don't yet know the hope of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There's a sort of passing of the torch that we see happening in this passage. First to Jesus' immediate disciples, and then down through the succeeding generations coming to us. This passage of this message and this, this invitation to be a part of God's incredible work. Jesus knew his followers were prepared, and so he called them together for their last set of instructions. And in a very real way, he calls us together in the same way. What were Jesus' instructions to them? 
we're going to focus on, on three kind of areas of, of this instruction that he gives today. He called them first to go. He called them secondly to make disciples. And thirdly, he called them to recognize the presence and the provision of God in their midst. And again, as we hear Jesus' encouragement to his disciples, may we hear this as encouragement to each one of us to follow in that line of followers of Christ who are invited to be messengers of good news to our world. Jesus begins this guidance with a very simple word, go. The first part of Jesus' instruction is to look beyond ourselves, look beyond our immediate situation, move beyond our immediate circumstances, go beyond our immediate self. This is a looking beyond ourselves of recognizing we've received good news. We've received this message of forgiveness and hope in Jesus Christ and that we're invited to share that good news much like we would share good news of, of all sorts. If, you've, if you heard of the cure of a disease and you heard that your neighbor was suffering from that disease, you would want to go next door and share good news. If, if you had um, financial resources, if you had food, extra food in your pantry and you found out that your neighbor across the street or a family member was hungry that night, we would grab the food out of our pantry and take it across the street and, and share it with them. And in a very similar way, we have good news. Good news of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And we're invited to go, to go beyond ourselves and take this message to those around us. Now, when we hear that word to go, probably in many of our minds, the, the word to go it, um, conjures up ideas of going far, going around the world. And there's certainly part of that. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But you know, before you can go around the world, you have to go around your family. Before you go around the world, you have to go around your neighborhood. Before you go around the world, you have to go to those people that you work with, those people that you meet in the grocery store, those people that you meet just walking down the street. It's very easy for us to think about going as this way out there kind of thing. But God invites us to go by simply looking at the people around us, the people in our homes, the people in our neighborhoods, who we have the opportunity and the invitation to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You can't go around the world before you first go around the neighborhood. And part of the reason for that, part of the reason for that is that much of disciple making, much of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is much more about, it's, it's much more caught than taught. It's much more as we rub shoulders with people around us, as we live with them, that we, we have those opportunities to express and to live out the difference that the good news of Jesus Christ makes in our lives. We, we have the opportunity to share the good news with people around us. And it doesn't have to be super elaborate. Or do, do we look for developing those kinds of relationships? In many cases, it's simply a matter of being available spending time and listening to others. We live in a world full of loneliness. We might be surprised how willing our neighbor is to a friendly conversation. And when that door is open to a relationship, how there's opportunities to express the reason for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. When Jesus says go, a big part of what he's saying to us is to simply look beyond ourselves and the, our own immediate circumstances and our own immediate situations and problems to see the needs of people just beyond ourselves. 
our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends. The call of God to go to the nations begins with the people in our close proximity. But it doesn't stop there. We also have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ literally around the world. And our church has a wonderful history of building bridges and sharing in the work of God around the world. We have growing relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ in places like Egypt and Belize. And these relationships help us to build beyond the immediacy of our own circumstances and help us to see that God is doing great and amazing things around the world, advancing the good news of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There's an opportunity that many of, that, are, that are available to us um, just this fall to go visit our partners in Israel. The parishes are, are ministering there, and there's an opportunity to, to go and to not only see what's happening in Israel more broadly, but to understand a little more closely what's happening with our partners, the parishes. And there's an information meeting um, today after the 1030 service, as well as on Tuesday, where you can get more information about this opportunity that's coming. And there are other opportunities to go and to make a difference both around the world and, and more regionally in places like Cornerstone Christian Academy and, and City Team. We are invited to go. But I recognize that in, from, from many of us and understand that the opportunity to go and visit some of these ministries isn't something we can do on a daily or regular basis. But that doesn't mean that we can't still be participating in going, quote unquote, all around the world. Being on the ground with our ministry partners is certainly a great way to experience the difference that Jesus is making there. But we can also go by listening carefully when we hear stories of what our partners are doing and describing their ministry. We can go by keeping informed on the work that's being done. We can go by praying for that work. We can go by sharing financially to support the things that God is doing. As a church, we continue to go in these various kinds of ways. And you've, you've probably heard us talking, hopefully you've heard us talking over the last several weeks about a way to go to our ministry partners in Belize. Uh, it's been several years since we have packed a container of goods that are being sent, but we are now in the process of gathering items that are needed in the Central American country of Belize. We live in a very prosperous part of the world, and there are many things that we take for granted that our brothers and sisters in places like Belize simply do not have. And by collecting those items, by putting them on a shipping container, by sharing them with those in need, we have an opportunity in a tangible way to express and to share the love of Jesus Christ. And by doing so, we are also pointing them to our ministry partners in Belize. Ebenezer Church is going to have an opportunity to relate to people in their neighborhoods, utilizing those resources that you and I are gathering and are giving to the work that's happening there. We can go in person, and we can also go by participating in projects like this. And I'd encourage you at the close of the service today to make sure you check out the table out in the narthex and to learn more about ways that you can be involved. The work of God around the world calls each one of us to go. For some, that will mean getting on an airplane. For others, it will mean writing a check. For others, it will mean praying and writing letters of encouragement. But the mission of God is a mission of going. It's a mission of looking beyond ourselves. I can't wait to hear those reports 20 years from now of the difference that God made today because we went in 2023. Much like we've heard stories over, of going in 2013 and 2003 and 1980 and, and other points in the history 
of our church. Jesus invites us. Jesus calls us to be a part of his work of going beyond ourselves. His followers were called to do that, and we're invited to as well. But at that point, it raises the second question, which is, okay, when you go, what do you do? What is involved? What's the content of this going? The primary function and purpose of the followers of Jesus in going is, as, John, as, as Jesus says here in John, is, or in Matthew rather, is to make disciples. And this begins in sort of a, a three-step kind of way. Jesus defined this disciple-making like this when he said, it's baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. We can see in these words a a sort of three-step process to discipleship-making. It's first of all a call to profession of faith. It's secondly a growing in knowledge and understanding of godly truth. And then thirdly, it's, it's putting that truth into practice. And this three-step outline is really a a good guide for how we are called to live our lives as well. It starts with this, as Jesus says here, baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In this context, Jesus is seeing baptism as the outward expression of God's work in an individual life. It's a sign of entry into the kingdom of God. And I want to take a quick aside to to talk a little bit about baptism because we recognize that in and of itself, baptism doesn't make us right with God. It's not some sort of magic potion that's sort of sprinkled over top of us. Jesus clearly says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. It's in believing in Jesus Christ that we receive this forgiveness Paul's letters to the church affirm that salvation in Christ, entering into the family of God, comes as a result of faith, belief in God, not works or actions on our human part. Baptism is that external symbol, that external sign of this profession of faith. And that's why when we have infants baptized, we recognize the work of God calling that individual child and the entry into the family of faith brought by God's call. But we also affirm the significance of that child affirming his or her faith when they get to an age when they can understand what it's about. And that's why we have a confirmation process in our church where as as teenagers, there's opportunity to understand what it is to profess faith in Christ. The work of decision-making, this work of decision-making starts with a profession of faith. It's believing in Jesus Christ and receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the starting point that we see in that process. But it's not the end. The next step that Jesus outlines here involves learning. Jesus says we are to teach what he has commanded. And this teaching can take many different forms. We, you all are, are receiving teaching right now, and we, we receive teaching as we gather together in worship in the form of, of sermons. And that's certainly a, a good way and a wonderful way to learn about the content of faith and the content of the Bible. But learning can also happen and can sometimes happen even more significantly in, in smaller group opportunities, in one-on-one teaching situations. In those kinds of settings, we have the opportunity to ask questions, to wrestle with tough parts of scripture to understand and to really think through the truths about what it means to apply scripture to our everyday lives. 
And it's vital for each of us to have those opportunities as well. That's why we're committed as a church to fostering more and more biblically-based, relationally-oriented small groups. Many of you have seen the benefit of those opportunities and are already engaged in those types of activities. We believe it's a critical part for all of us to be engaged in a small group setting, a place where we can grow in relationships with one another and can learn more about the truth of God. And I would invite you, if you have not been a part of a small group, to reach out. Maddie Ridgeway is the staff member who is, is uh, tasked with helping to organize those small groups, and she'd be very happy to help you to connect with a small group. Discipleship is about professing faith in Christ. It's about learning more of the truth and the content of that faith. And it's thirdly about putting those truths into action by obediently living out godly teaching. That's the third part of what Jesus says here in this passage. Jesus affirms that it's not enough to simply gain a head knowledge. The aim of teaching is obedience to the commands of God. And that obedience happens on a number of different levels. On one level, it happens at a personal level, our, our personal piety. As, as we understand God's truth and we begin to put it into practice, um, we, we are demonstrating the love and the hope and the charity of Christ in our relationship with God and with one another. God wants us to live lives in line with, with his desires. And so he invites us to learn the content of that truth and then to live it out. But obedience to God also entails doing good and serving others. Living out our faith and obedience to God includes helping the work of God positively, both inside and outside the church. We recognize that true disciple making doesn't stop with just gaining a head knowledge. It's a, it's a lived out practice as we go about the everyday events of our lives. And once again, we see the significance of relationship in that, particularly in things like small groups, where we can have these incubators, these places where we can learn to live out the, our faith in Christ in real and tangible ways. As we rub shoulders with one another, as we receive guidance and encouragement, we're better prepared to live out this faith in God in our everyday experiences. As a pastor, I want to encourage you. Learn all you can about the truths of God. Learn all you can about the truths outlined in Scripture. But don't stop with simply gaining head knowledge. Put that truth into practice. Be obedient followers of Jesus Christ. Living examples of the good news of Jesus. Well, in some ways, as we hear this mission laid out for us in this passage, it's an incredibly exciting time. What can be more vital than joining God and changing the eternal destiny of people around us? There's nothing more important in all the world than being a part of what God is doing. But as exciting as that, it can also be incredibly daunting, can't it? How can I make a difference? How can I ever be used by God to share this message of hope? And that's where we get to the concluding line of what Jesus says in this passage. He says, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This isn't about us figuring out how to accomplish the work of God. It's about us joining God and receiving the guidance and the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Instead of feeling overwhelmed, this should be a message of encouragement. The power of God is on our side. God is working in and through each one of us. With God on our side, how can it not be a success, right? 
the same God who called the disciples 2,000 years ago is calling each one of us to hear the message of forgiveness, to recognize that we serve a risen Savior, a living Savior, who invites us to be a part of the work that God is doing around the world. On top of that, he goes with us, empowering us, strengthening us, helping us to understand what that looks like, and helping us to live it out in beautiful and wonderful ways.